Hello, welcome to the Entrepreneur's Chat, a podcast brought to you by Climate Hambrose. I'm James Hurley, Enterprise Editor at The Times, and I'm your host for this series. From startup to sale, the course of building a business never did run smooth, and in this series we go behind the scenes, exploring the highs and lows which come with building a business at every stage of the journey. Today I'm joined by Jake Humphrey, broadcaster, podcaster, and co-founder of Whisper, an award-winning production company. If you mess up, you have to have a complete understanding that failure is a comma, not a full stop. You need to be failing often because you need to be existing in the world where you're right at the edge all the time. And I think if we could all exist in that place, we would all live a more fulfilled life. But we only are able to live in that place if we're able to reset our thinking to see that failure is okay. Over the past decade, Jake has gone from presenting children's TV to anchoring the BBC's Formula One coverage and BT Sports football output. He's also a co-founder and director of Whisper Films, one of the UK's fastest growing TV production companies, and he's building a second business around his hugely successful high-performance podcast. Not bad for a bloke once sacked from a fast food job for poor communication skills. I'm told the Whisper team live by the words, entertainment is everything, so no pressure on this episode then. Jake, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I think we first met in those uh, pre-pandemic days, didn't we, in 2019. I remember you describing yourself to me there. I think we met in the BT Sports Studios as something of an accidental entrepreneur because we were talking about the, the rapid growth of, of Whisper Films. Can you just tell us, first of all, why you wanted to start a business? Because you had a very successful presenting career. You didn't really need to have a have a business. What was it that, that made you want to sort of scratch that itch and, and get a company off the ground? A number of things, probably at the heart of it, Frustration, actually. Whisper came about because I was working on Formula One and I was working with a really brilliant producer called Sunil Patel, who is now the the CEO at Whisper. And he's one of those rare people who's a brilliant organiser and really makes stuff happen, but at the same time is hugely creative as well. And it was born from frustration because... At that time, you had various brands and various marketing agencies working with Formula One teams, and they would have all the access to the drivers, and often it was sponsor-funded content that they were creating. But we were able at the BBC to take their content, limit the branding as much as would be allowed within BBC guidelines, and then transmit that as part of our programme on a Saturday because, you know, quite frankly, we didn't have the time or the budget to film with all the drivers all the time. So if If a company were able to provide us with really compelling content, we would use that content either for a whole standalone piece or for a little video montage or something. But the frustration came from someone coming to us, maybe like normally we'd fly into a Grand Prix on like a Thursday. So Thursday is the day when you sort of get yourself together, chat to the teams, work out your plan for the weekend. And unlike a lot of things, the content is all created then over the next couple of days which is a big ask because we do an hour's build up on a Saturday an hour's build up on a Sunday we needed a lot of content on that BBC Formula One program so they'd come to us on a Wednesday or Thursday and they'd say oh last week we filmed with X driver at X location with amazing access and blah 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 would you like it we'd say yeah brilliant okay we'll we'll deliver it to you on Friday afternoon and you can put it on your program wherever and you know that would then work for them because they'd get onto the BBC and it would please the people that put the hand in the pocket to create the content and then we would get it and you know I know the BBC has very strict guidelines on this kind of stuff but it was still almost not savable because it was so covered in branding there was no narrative or storyline um, it was not very well shot. The audio wasn't very good. And we would want to put this stuff on the telly because it took our audience closer to those drivers and, and their lives. But it wasn't good enough. And eventually I said to Sonal, 
Listen, instead of us sitting here being frustrated and annoyed, why don't we set a company up ourselves and you can go and do this? And it also came because at that time the BBC were moving sport to Manchester and Sonal didn't want to go to Manchester and uproot his family and his children and things. And my wife was working on Strictly Come Dancing as a production manager, so she was able to create call sheets and all those sorts of things that you need before you get a company going. And so we then operated from his spare bedroom and our spare bedroom. We had two employees, Sunil and my wife Harriet, and that's how Whisper began. And we sit here today with well over 200 staff, turnovers somewhere around 60, 70 million pounds this year. Sony owned 25% of our business. David Coulthard is also involved. He came on board really early on. And it's almost unrecognisable, I think, from, well, it is unrecognisable from even our ambition. You know, we kind of thought four or five members of staff and have a bit of fun. We never imagined we'd grow into one of the fastest growing production companies, if not one of the biggest production companies in the UK. Why do you think it's gone so well, Jake? You know, as you say, it's it's a surprise to you, the scale that it's already got to and, and plenty more to come by the look of it as well. Why do you think it's gone so well and what has surprised you about that? I think the answer to that, James, is that in my experience, albeit limited, every business is a recruitment business and we just have to get the recruitment right and we have to invest. And I think where we have been smart is that myself and Sundal and David and any of our other backers that we've had over the years, no one has really taken any money out of this business. We've always, if we've had some cash in the bank, we've gone, right, let's hire this amazing person. Let's invest in these offices. Let's grow. Let's just put the money back in. So I think the first thing is I would want everyone to take away from this conversation that every business is a recruitment business. Now, it's only great to recruit well if you then look after people. So let's take a pandemic as a really good example. The TV industry is pretty much built on freelancers. And we reached out to everyone that we are not committed to pay or committed to look after because they're freelancers to tell them that as soon as the pandemic is over, we are straight back. If they need us, we'll offer some help. We'll give them access to places that can help bridge the gap while they're not able to earn. That was just for the freelancers. For the people internally at Whisper, the day that the pandemic hit, we called a meeting um, and Sunil, our, our boss, our CEO, he immediately gave up his entire salary because with the furlough scheme and things, there are a lot of people that are not able to take a 20% pay cut to 80% because they're low earners and they're living in London. So his salary immediately went to them. And I made a pot of my own money available to all the staff. And I just sent an email and I said, look, I don't, whether it's you that's got a problem, whether it's your partner that's got a problem because of the pandemic, if you're struggling to pay a bill this month, I've set aside a pot of my own personal cash and, you know, pick up the phone. Here's my mobile number. Call me. We'll talk the problem through. And that cash is yours to help you get through. And then the final thing that we made sure we did, and Sony were really good at this. They've got a really strong mental health setup at Sony. And we spoke to them and said, look, this is the time when our staff are going to need this. They're going to be stuck at home. Um, They're going to be questioning their future. We're going to be wondering about whether our business is going to survive. Um, And, fantastically they were able to uh they were able to open that up to our staff um but for us personally that was a really scary time because you know I sort of assumed because we'd never really taken any money out of the business we would be in fine fettle and we'd ride this thing out but obviously your power when business is good is a nice office it is lots of staff it's huge ambition if suddenly your income basically drops to zero, which is what happened to us because we primarily produce sports content and all the sport got hit on the head and ended 
our income was zero, our outgoings were just as high. I think we wouldn't be having a conversation about Whisper if it wasn't for the government furlough scheme. I think that that saved our business probably. And that was a really big lesson for us is that even when you run a business that you think about as carefully as we think about Whisper, something like a global pandemic could undo it and end it very quickly. 10 years of hard work would have disappeared and we just about got through and we're, I'm proud to say that we, we almost double the number of staff coming out of the pandemic as going in. Do you think that approach that you take to, to looking after staff and making sure their welfare is looked after has helped you post-pandemic, especially in an environment where businesses in all sectors, including yours, are finding it very difficult to hire, actually? So even if you want to expand, then you have the money to do so. It isn't always easy because there's a big shortage of staff. Has, has your approach helped you recruit as you grow quickly, do you think? It's definitely helped us to recruit. But I also think it's helped us to win business as well because it's a very small industry and people talk about the businesses that are dynamic and exciting and ambitious and are great to work for and are looking to always over deliver rather than over promise. And I think that applies to our business. But I think it's also really important because I think that the way that we operated during COVID is actually where you get a real understanding of actually what a business is like, because it's very easy when you're hiring staff to say, hey, come and work for us. We're thoughtful and we're kind and we're open and, you know, we want to do things differently. What about when your actual back's against the wall and you have a conversation with a founder and a CEO and you decide that basically you've got six or seven months left as a business if something doesn't change or someone doesn't ride to your rescue? That's basically the situation that we were in. And that is when you get tested. And it would have been so easy for us to go, let's protect ourselves, lay everybody off you know, make sure that we've got something to show for this. And actually the the mindset we had was all about our people. That now means that not only are those people helping to drive the culture forwards of kindness and generosity and empathy rather than opinion, that's the feeling in Whisper. But I also think that there's a genuine desire among those staff to kind of, um, to pay us back feels like the wrong phrase, but I think they now feel a real loyalty to Whisper. And they know that when it actually mattered, we were there for them. And I think that helps us in a whole host of different ways. And I think that we've won a lot of contracts recently. We won a huge contract to produce content for UEFA. And I think, of course, that's partly what we do. But I think a large reason we won that contract was how we do it as well. You've got some fantastic entrepreneurs in your network, haven't you? You know, right from working with Eddie Jordan on uh, Formula One coverage to obviously the kind of people that you're interviewing on high performance as well. Did you tap into that network for advice when Whisper was going through that difficult period during the pandemic about how you should approach it? Yeah, in some ways, you can look at the high performance podcast, right, James, and you can say, oh, what a great thing to do. Like, you know, having those conversations, which really helps loads of people. Another slightly more selfish way of looking at it is that I am lucky enough to have these kinds of conversations with entrepreneurs all the time about life and business. And actually, I'm then able to use those in how I run my business. So one of the things I always say to people is always ask a question of everybody you meet, because everybody knows something that you don't know. And we all think that we're doing something new, right? And we're all wrong because everyone has been here and done all of this before. And we're fools if we just relearn what other human beings have learned so yeah the podcast has been helpful the people that I spend my time with have been helpful but actually listening to other people's podcasts and reading books about not really about business because I don't see myself as a businessman reading books about understanding and empathy I mean there's a brilliant book that I'd recommend your listeners to listen to which is called The Go-Giver and the whole premise of The Go-Giver is if you just give stuff will come back 
And in a business sense, that feels like a madness when you just give, you've got nothing left. But it's amazing how much putting something out there means that things come back to you. And it takes a little bit of trust. And, you know, let's be honest, James, like, I need to be really clear to people that I'm sitting in a position where I'm a highly paid TV presenter. And one of the owners of Whisper Films is a multi-millionaire ex-Formula One driver. And we have the back end of Sony. So I hate the idea, and I see it all the time now on other podcasts and on social media, of, oh, anyone can do this. Anyone can be successful. Just be like me. Go out there and make it happen. Well, look at the opportunities that I had. My career began in a small village in Norfolk. I didn't begin with any of these contacts or anything. But when I set Whisper up, let's not pretend that I wasn't able to say to DC, can you give us a chunk of money to get us going? That I wasn't able to walk into the Williams Formula One team, which is the first contract we ever won. And they agreed to let us produce their content for a year. That's what started Whisper. I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. So I guess my message to people isn't, I'm always careful not to say, well, you can go and do this. But I certainly would say that my message to people is be your own version of high performance. It might not be being an entrepreneur and doing what I'm doing. It might not be winning an Olympic race or a Premier League trophy or being a billionaire CEO of, of a huge business. It's about finding your own high performance. And actually, no matter the size or scale of your business, if you just focus on the process and try and make every single day the right decisions for your business, you will get, I believe, to where you want to go. And you have to believe that because basically there's nothing more you can do than just try and do the right thing every day. You, you just said there that I'm not a businessman. I'm just going to gently challenge you on that because, uh, you know, with, with Whisper, you could have had a successful business there. And as you said, a, a general approach on a company like that is you would have taken some dividends now. And the fact that you haven't suggests you're interested in the growth of the business. And also the other example I'd use is with high performance. You've got a very successful podcast there. You're getting hundreds of thousands of downloads. It's a hit in lots of countries, isn't it? And that would be success enough for many people. But that's also been turned into a book You've got um, a live event series with it as well, which suggests a desire to commercialise it and, you know, a knack and an interest in business. Why, why do you, why would you say you're not a businessman? Uh, probably because that's my imposter syndrome slithering out. And I think that, you know, let's just, I want to be totally honest, obviously, like we have taken dividends from Whisper, but we've never taken dividends to the point where we're kind of being greedy at the expense of the business. I suppose that's the point that I'd make about Whisper. We've always made sure that our working capital is at a really healthy level so that we can invest in other people. We've definitely, definitely invested more in the business than ourselves, which I think is a sensible way to run. And I think um, often we talk on my podcast about delayed gratification and consistency. Consistency is not very sexy, is it? Because it's not the great big firework that explodes and everyone goes, wow, you're so consistent, man. But consistency with what we've done has been a really sort of key trigger for us as a business. And I think consistently putting the business before ourselves is probably the reason why we're having a conversation about Whisper. I always don't call High Performance the High Performance Podcast anymore, James, because I feel like it's grown into a brand and good for the ego to be a founder of a multi-million pound production company. It's nice for the ego to be on the telly and do all the other things I've done. High Performance is the first time that I've really, really felt useful on this earth. And that probably is more valuable to me than anything else. I don't think I'll ever feel like a businessman. And I still feel like the kid from a village in Norfolk who failed his A-levels, got fired from McDonald's, got bullied at school, was never the head of the class, was never at the front of anything. And I still feel exactly like that today. I just feel like um, I've taken all of those little 
knockbacks and setbacks and added them to the the resilience armour, which is what I tend to use on a daily basis. In terms of the people that you interview on high performance, do you see knockbacks and setbacks in an early stage of life as a, as a common theme? Uh, one of the reasons I ask that is I noticed you had Bear Grylls on, didn't you? And he was talking about how a lot of the people that he sees as very successful and resilient and able to sort of succeed in adult life are people that maybe didn't do well at school or maybe had issues when in their teenage years where they had to get some armoury, I guess, and, and, and build in some resilience, not the stars of the, of the school sports and getting A stars in, in, in other exams. It's only a minute long. Shall I just play you that clip? Just got it here on my phone because I've been pinging it all over my social. So, currency at school tends to be celebrates the sporty or the academic or, or maybe even the good looking. You know, those are the things that carry weight at school. And uh, you know, but as we know, th- those things count for very little in life. And the currency of life is the opposite of that. The currency of life is resilience and and a, and a positivity and a never give up spirit. And you know, I think one of the dangers for young people is the superstars of school. And how often do we hear that the superstars of school don't always find life quite so easy? But my, you know, theory on this, which I'm sure you kind of understand, is that. You know, if you if if it's all too easy, the one muscle you need in life, which is the inner muscle of the never give up resilient muscle, gets a bit weak. But we have the big outer muscles and all the trophies, and the school thinks you're amazing because you come first and get A's. But actually, little Johnny, who's never picked for anything, but never gives up, and is just kind and tries his best and fails and gets up again, and nobody really even notices he's getting up again for the hundredth time. He leaves school maybe not the the big biceps or the trophies, but he leaves school with the one thing that matters, and it's that million-dollar check of currency of life, the resilience inside, the strong inner muscles. There you go. That kind of sums it up nicely, doesn't it? There's a well-known phrase in psychology, James, which is that trauma leads to triumph. And we see trauma leading to triumph everywhere, really, on high performance. And sometimes it's a trauma that's come to you late in life. So we, we interviewed Billy Munger, who lost his legs in that horrific motor racing accident, yet still came back, still raced again, ended up on the podium, now works as a broadcaster. Uh, Dame Kelly Holmes, self-harming before she won double Olympic gold medals. The entrepreneur Joe Malone, having breast cancer and having to completely reset her thinking after that. Ant Middleton lost his dad at a young age, which he carried with him. Tom Daly, um, sort of exposed by the press for some of his behaviour online and lost his dad at a young age. And he talked to us brilliantly about overcoming both of those things to be the amazing guy that he is today. And we see it again and again and again. And I see it as well in my own my own kids. So I've got an older daughter and a younger son. And there's a lot of research being done into the second child achieving more than the first in life and the only reason is because being young builds their resilience muscle so we were racing in the garden the other day and it was the stupidest game in the world right I had a stick we were out on the lawn and I was shouting out different sorts of weather so if it was sunshine you had to lay on the floor like a star shape if it was the rain you had to make your hands look like rain if it was a thunderstorm you had to spin around and then when I shouted stick they had to run and get the stick right so Florence is almost nine Seb's only just turned six it was the best of five. And at four nil down, he's still trying his best to get the stick. So we then have one more game of this. Because I just think having lost five nil, it'd be nice for him to win. So I give Florence a wink. She can't let him get that stick. So I then allow him to get the stick and she can't deal with it. So I had to say to her, listen, your brother, he, he six times in a row, he didn't get it. And he kept going back for more. Once he got the stick and you were done. You can't have that mindset in your life. You've got to be able to be more resilient than that. And the thing is with second children, 
they are underneath all the time. They're always second. They're always failing. They're always struggling. They're always battling. And, and then as they get older and one of them's maybe 19 and one of them's 17 and they've, they're kind of equal then physically, you find that that's when the second child is the one that pushes forwards because not only do they then have the physicality to match the one that used to be way ahead, but they've built that resilience muscle, which is really important as well. And my sort of always my one main bit of advice for us in our lives, James, and also for parents as well is to allow failure, allow your kids to fail, allow them to falter, allow them to struggle, allow them to work out how to keep going forwards. And even you and I, like if you mess up, you have to have a complete understanding that failure is a comma, not a full stop. You need to be failing often because you need to be existing in the world where as a journalist and as a human being, you're right at the edge all the time. And as soon as you can sit there and go, well done, James, six months, no failures. That's a shit six months because you haven't been at the edge where failure is almost inevitable. And I think if we could all exist in that place, we would all live a more fulfilled life. But we only are able to live in that place if we're able to reset our thinking to see that failure is okay. Have you noticed yourself making any changes in your in your own life and indeed in what you do with Whisper Films and High Performance itself from the lessons that you're taking from the podcast? And, and if so, can you give us a couple of, uh, of fun examples of that? Yeah, so I think that for a start, I'm probably a quite an annoying person to live with since I created High Performance. A, a good example is the other day we ran out of petrol on the school run, right? That is a bad time to run out of petrol. And my wife was like, oh my goodness, we've, how have you let this happen? I was like, well, it's happened, hasn't it? You know, there's no point dwelling on it. It was my mistake. I hold my hands up to it. I'll resolve it. And we, we were not far from our house. So I ran home, got the other car, drove back, picked them up, did the sort of, but Harry was so annoyed in the car. And I was, I started saying to her, you know, like life isn't actually about what happens. It's how you react to it. And I've decided that although I ran out of petrol, I'm cool with it. And I've got a smile on my face and I'm, happily moving on with my day and you're sitting there and you're all annoyed and it's not even your responsibility that we ran out of fuel but it is your responsibility to not be annoyed with me for the fact that we ran out of fuel and that's a tricky lesson for people but if someone gives you the double digits on the road or bibs their horn as you're driving no point being annoyed because you being annoyed is not going to make any difference to their life you're responsible for how you react and Harriet's answer is then what so anyone can do anything to me and no matter how offensive it is I can't be annoyed well yes because what does being annoyed do to them? Nothing. What does it do to you? Holds you back, brings you down, makes you feel fed up, ruins your day. So I think the biggest thing for me on, on high performance is this understanding that there's a difference between fault and responsibility. And loads of things will happen to us all that are not our fault, but they are still our responsibility to push through that. And taking 100% responsibility for everything in our lives, even the things that are not our fault, is quite a powerful way to live. And then certainly when it comes to whisper and actually all the things I'm involved with like those are the lessons from the podcast but we then run the podcast I'm the chairman of a charity here in Norfolk called the Community Sport Foundation and we reach 40,000 young people a year and improve their lives through sport I'm an investor in Coral Eye where as you know we've spoken about that in the past my work with BT Sport as a TV presenter and of course whisper all of those things are now helped by the fact that I focus on responsibility not fault they're all helped by the fact that I deal with empathy rather than opinion because there's a brilliant American politician called Bill Bullard and he said that opinion is the lowest form of knowledge because it doesn't actually require you to know anything empathy is the highest form of knowledge because it actually requires an understanding of that other person's life and that other person's issues and struggles and 
none of us see the backpack of stress and anxiety and worry that everyone else is carrying around with them. So it's informed me on so many levels and I kind of feel like it's a responsibility to go and see the team at the charity or the staff at Whisper or speak to George, who's a 21-year-old founder of Coralie, where he's a young guy. I feel I should be passing these messages on and that's all I really want the listeners of High Performance to do, really. Put it on their Instagram, put it on their social media, chuck it in a WhatsApp group or talk about the lessons with their colleagues at work because I just think it's it's helpful. You don't have to agree with all of it, but it's worth listening to. I'd like to ask you about Coral in a moment, but but quickly, since we're talking about things like uh, tension and, and, and disagreement and, and things like that, you've obviously got some strong personalities running Whisper alongside you, including David Coulthard and your friend Sonal, but you've got a few directors on there. How do you handle it when you have a, a difference of opinion about the direction of the company, which I'm assuming you must have from time to time? And that's healthy, right? Yeah, it's absolutely healthy. And I think the answer to that, and I'm sure there are entrepreneurs listening to this who struggle with this on a daily basis. I think, again, it comes back to the empathy. I think it's a, it's a weak leader who puts weak people around them because they don't want to be challenged. I think one of the key things to do in a business is to make sure that you have a real vulnerability in that business. Because I think the problem is if Sunnell sits at the top of Whisper and tells everyone that he knows the answers and he's never failed and he's never struggled and he's glided through, when you're sitting there and you are doubtful and you are anxious and you are full of fear, you're never going to say that because you look at the leader of the business and think, well, he's not got issues. How on earth can I explain my issues in, in this team meeting? So I've always encouraged someone, he's really good at it, to admit stuff that he doesn't know. And I think they're the three most powerful words you can say as a leader in any business is I don't know. And I've messed up. And I got this wrong. Those kinds of messages to your staff is really, really important because I think then it empowers them to be vulnerable. And when you have this air and this culture of vulnerability in a business, I think it also allows people who traditionally wouldn't speak up to go, listen, I, I can see you guys are struggling and I might only be here in the tier of importance or in the management structure of this business, but I think I've got a cool idea. The best things that have happened to us at Whisper have come from the runners and the APs and the researchers and some of the producers. And we encourage everyone in the business. We put a, Every single week we share the news of the, of the week, the, the big wins, the losses, the arrivals, the levers, the things we're working on, the things we've created. We do a lot of joint ventures. So we see people in the industry, James, who are great don't want to be members of staff, but nobody takes a risk on them. So we get them and we just say, let's create a joint venture. You come here, you get the back end of Whisper, you get the offices, you get the staff, you get all of our energy and all of our sense of purpose. It's a real purpose-driven business. And you bring your ideas. And I think what's really great is we're able to say, like, X is working on X. If you've got any ideas that might help or a cool thing that you think they should hear about, just drop them an email and we'll put their email address on there and allow the whole business to drive us forwards because... Magic can come from anywhere, I think, and that would be my bit of advice. From speaking to you, it's very clear that the culture in, in your business or businesses is, is really, really important to you. Uh, you've got investors in the form of Channel 4 and Sony, as, as you've mentioned. How does that change the business? And I guess, how do you make sure it doesn't change the business too much and doesn't undermine that culture you've spent so long trying to create? Well, I think the key thing is you have to remind those investors why they invested in the first place. And also, I think the other thing that's really important as a business is you have to have a really clear idea of why you want that investor to come on board. So let's just be clear about why David Coulthard got involved. We had no money. So setting up a business was tricky. 
Thankfully, David was able to provide some equity for us to get going. But the other key thing that DC did was that he opened our network because me and Sun just worked in telly and we worked also for the BBC, which, you know, you don't have great commercial relationships when that's your background. He was able to bring really brilliant commercial relationships. When Channel 4 took an investment in Whisper, we knew really clearly why we wanted to go with Channel 4. It was their growth fund. So it's where they invest in businesses that can really be lifted up. And we were a small business at that time. It was a few years ago. And we were great commercially, but we had nothing in the way of broadcast. So we knew that what we really wanted from Channel 4 was for them to help us win more work as a broadcast production partner. And now a huge amount of our income comes from producing content. We produce more highlights of sports events for terrestrial TV in the UK than any other business. So Channel 4 were incredible for us. And I would, you know, do the same thing all over again. Then the time came because they were a growth fund investment. Their whole thing is build a business, realize some growth and exit. And that's when Sony came in. And then again, it was really clear with Sony that we'd created a business as far as we could go in producing sport, but we wanted IP, we wanted original ideas, we wanted to grow overseas, and we now have offices in New Zealand, we've got an office in Wales, we've got an office in the north of England, we're looking to branch into the States, and Sony have been amazing for that, and of course what they also bring us is access to Sony Music, and you know, all of the great actors and things that we can we can hopefully tap into through Sony Pictures and things like that. And so they've really understood their role in our business. And then I think the other thing that's great is when you work with a business as big and brilliant as Sony, they constantly sort of push us and let us go further and further. You know, your original question to how do you, how do you retain your sort of key culture in the business? I think Sony only wanted to invest in a business that had the kind of culture that we've got. So we produced the Paralympics recently and it felt wrong to produce the Paralympics with the majority of the team able-bodied. We wanted disabled people producing content of disabled people competing. Um, and I think our coverage of the Paralympics was, I think, the best that we've ever had in this country. Um, our CEO is an Asian son of a corner shop owner from Twickenham. Like those people do not run businesses in television. And I think Sunil should be shouted about in broadcasting. He should be celebrated way more in broadcasting. He is breaking down doors for others to walk through. And there needs to be more people like Sunil in the business. We're 50% female at Whisper. And we have, we have a real sense that there are people who are just underappreciated, underrecognized, underinvested, underloved, but they've got so much to give. And if we can run a successful business whilst also looking after people who traditionally in broadcasting have been in a minority, then we're not just doing good things, we're doing the right thing as well. And uh, you're also an investor now. I guess that, that last answer kind of leads me neatly onto that because are you, are you kind of taking a similar approach into, into who you're looking to, to help out with, with angel investments? And tell us a little bit about Coral as well. Yeah, so Coral was the first kind of angel investment that I made. And I guess the key for me is... Like I haven't got involved in any way, shape or form with NFTs, for example, right? Because I see all these things everywhere. And part of me is like, I mm, don't really fully understand it. But also, I think it's really important you have a purpose-driven life. And if you look at all the things I've done from being a chairman of the Community Sport Foundation, purpose-driven, from really looking to invest in people who are underrepresented in broadcasting through Whisper, that's purpose-driven. If you take a look at the podcast 
absolutely high performance. It's purpose driven. And my investment in coral eyewear is eyewear which takes plastic from the ocean or it takes old eyewear and turns them into, recycles them into new pairs of eyewear because every year in the UK we sell 9 million pairs of eyewear with virgin plastic. Fashion is just horrendous as far as the environment is concerned and at Coral we're trying to make a difference um, and we've got really big plans but it's bloody hard man to have an impact when you're a new startup particularly in the fashion space which is controlled by certain businesses with huge budgets for PR and marketing and press and for whatever reason, the, the environmental conversation is so far down the ladder of fashion, yet fashion is so far up the chain when it comes to polluting our world. Um, we think the conversation needs to be much higher up. We think we should all be shopping in a much more mindful way. And Coral Eyewear is trying to change the conversation so you don't even consider buying eyewear that isn't fully recycled or hasn't taken plastic out of the ocean. And I've really enjoyed working with George to try and grow and create a brand that, that people understand. Is that something you'll do more of? Would you like to have an angel investment portfolio? Um, the honest answer, James, is that I just don't think I've got the spare capacity because, you know, like I watch Dragon's Den and I think, how do these dragons like invest in 15 businesses a year and still give those businesses genuine value? With all the things that I've said I'm involved in, we haven't even had a conversation about being a dad and being a husband and an uncle and a brother and a son, and a friend, and all the other actual relationship elements of my life. Um, I just don't think I could take any more on. I think I'm probably at breaking point now. And, you know, Harriet has regularly makes the point to me that I can't work really hard and then come home to decompress. Like, why should home not get the very, very best version of me? And it's a really good point. And so I think I'm not smart enough or clever enough to work out like some people can how I can have so many investments and they're all successful and I impact them all positively and I still have time left to actually be a decent human being with the people that matter more than anything else. Um, because I would give every single one of those things up tomorrow if it was having a detrimental effect on my marriage or on my, on my kids. So I think for the time being, I'm probably just about at breaking point. I think that's a, a, fa a fantastic point because I know it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with and it's, uh, it's really refreshing to, to hear that outlook on it. What are you most excited about for the next 12 months, given you've got so many projects on the go? What are you feeling most upbeat and, and excited about? I think I'm, I'm most excited, partly about the year as a whole, because for the first time at BT, I'm hosting Champions League football. So I'll get to host the Champions League final. And as a football broadcaster, that is like the absolute pinnacle. Um, Whisper is growing at a faster, more exciting rate than ever before. And the podcast, I feel, is my baby. So really out of all of those things, the international growth of high performance excites me, but also creating a real community around that podcast. I want to create some kind of community and some kind of club where price is not a barrier to entry. You know, I'm not interested in suddenly charging £60 a month to get the full high performance package. But the biggest thing for me is using modern technology to create a global community of high performance thinkers and leaders so that they can then go off and spread those messages to their own network. And I just keep on thinking, you know, we're getting, um, and we're miles away from being the biggest podcast even in the UK, let alone on the planet, but we're probably doing close to 2 million downloads a month. And I just keep thinking if, if those 2 million people just mention the podcast to seven of their mates, that's 14 million people. 
And then if they mention it to seven of their mates, that is the entire population of the UK being positively impacted by high performance. So that's the ambition, but it doesn't end there. I believe in infinite purpose. So purpose without end. So let's see how far it goes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Jake. It's been really fascinating talking to you. Jake, thank you so much for taking us behind the scenes at Whisper, High Performance and your other ventures. I'll be back next time chatting to Kate Bright, the fascinating founder of Umber International, who left her executive assistant job to learn skills such as handling firearms and evasive driving, exactly the kind of things you need at Umbra, a provider of bodyguards, security and lifestyle management to the wealthy. Security really boils down to common sense and the ability to create relationships, sometimes really super quickly. And that was something that I'd noticed that I was becoming quite agile at. I've got lots of failings, but these are the things that I was really sort of focused on in developing my professional career. Make sure you're following the Entrepreneur's Chat so you're always notified when a new episode is available. Until next time, goodbye. Does running a business leave little time for managing your personal financial affairs? At Climate Hambros, we know how to simplify life's financial challenges for entrepreneurs. Considering your personal and business ambitions, we partner with you at every stage of your life, taking care of your finances so you can focus on what matters most to you. Find out more about how we can help create a secure financial future for you and your family at climatehambros.com.